0: 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 20. Oh, what a beautiful passage. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Paul is sharing with the church in Corinth and with you and I. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Let's pray together. Father, we ask and pray that you would open our hearts as a part of our worship to you. To understand these words, to apply them to our life. We thank you for their power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Do you know the truth? Do you remember the truth? Those are important questions. I remember the story about two middle-aged couples. They were enjoying a friendly conversation with one another, one one of the men asked the other guy, he said, Fred, how was the memory clinic you went to last month? Fred had signed up for and gone to a memory clinic to help his memory. Outstanding, Fred replied. They t- taught us all of the latest psychological techniques such as visualization, association, and so on. It was great, I haven't had a problem since. His friend was so impressed, he said, wow, I think I need the same thing. What what was the name of the clinic? And Fred couldn't remember the name of the clinic to save his life. He tried and tried and just racked his brain, what was the name of that place? And he couldn't remember the name of the memory clinic. Finally, he said to his friend, Fred said, what do you call that flower that has the long stem and the thorns on it? And his friend said, a rose? He said, that's it. He turned to his wife and said, Rose, what's the name of that memory clinic? (laughs) It's one thing to learn something, but another thing to remember it. And sometimes we develop spiritual amnesia. And so Paul is sharing with the church in Corinth the very people he led to Christ and the very church he started, these important truths. In fact, the word truth in the New Testament literally means to not forget. To know the truth means to remember the truth. And so that is, in a way, what Paul is addressing this morning. So this morning's message is entitled simply, Foolish and wise, foolish and wise. In this morning's passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you, if you've ever studied Corinthians at all, First and Second Corinthians, they are amazing books. They really are. And he is beginning this letter to the church in Corinth. It's not his first letter, it's actually his second letter. We find that out in chapter 5. Uh, sometime later in the week, go and read that, read chapter 5, and he'll mention a previous letter that we don't have, by the way, I'd love to have it. But he is in this letter addressing to them uh, important issues and challenges in that particular church, in that particular time, that particular culture. And it is shocking how similar it is in many respects to our own. Of course, Corinth is in Greece and was part of the Roman Empire. And so their culture was Greek, and they loved philosophy. Greeks loved philosophy. That was their thing. They also loved false religions. In fact, their philosophy and philosophical thought was intertwined with their false religions. They had a city filled with temples. They have foundations from most of those temple complexes. There's not a whole lot left. There was tremendous destruction in Corinth. The two, probably the two most prominent temples in Corinth was number one, the temple of Apollo. The temple of Apollo. In fact, here is a picture of the temple of Apollo as it is seen today. Look at there, that's my beautiful bride. Standing, in fact, I've shown this picture before, but uh, if you don't remember it, if you do remember, that's too bad. But uh, she is standing in front of the temple. We were on sabbatical in 2014, so it's been, uh, what, eight years since then. Is that right, eight years? Whatever it's been. Uh, um, 2014, does that sound right, dear? Okay, all right, thank you. There's my memory right there. <laughs> and this, this temple is really magnificent. You, you can't really... Tell it from the picture; it doesn't really do it justice. But I should have had her go stand beside one of those columns. They really are just massive, and this was a beautiful, beautiful temple among all the others as well. But behind that temple, if you see that mountain in the background, it's actually not a mountain at all, or what? Uh, it's well, in Texas we call it mountain, but it was a hill. It was the Acropolis of Corinth and on that Acropolis was one of the most magnificent temples in all of the Roman world. It was a temple to who? Can anybody tell me who that temple was dedicated to? It was the temple of Aphrodite. Now that's important because that was a moral place or an immoral place. They employed a thousand priestesses prostitutes. Actually, I say priestess, there were a thousand prostitutes there that were both men and women, so that whether you went up as a woman or a man to worship, that's part of how you worshiped, was through fornication. So they had a lot of religious people there in Corinth, a lot of very religious men, probably the most religious men in the world right there, and they would go up that hill, I think it's like 600 feet tall, and uh, frankly, going up that hill, I, I would be exhausted. I wouldn't make it. That's a long way. They had no elevators and just steps everywhere. We don't have the, the, the temple left, but the foundations are there. And from that, they have recreated, at least in artwork, that particular temple complex. Here's a picture of that. And you see the view from up on top of that Acropolis, you could see forever. In fact, Corinth is kind of a bay away, across the bay from Athens. And so you could see this temple complex from a tremendous distance. That is the context of which Paul is writing this passage into these converted Christians. Now, none of these people were born Like you and I, if you grew up in a Christian household, you went to vacation Bible school as a kid, or your parents made you go to church every Sunday morning, there was no vacation Bible school, no church, and no resurrection when most of these people were born. It's brand new. The gospel of Jesus Christ is new. And so they all grew up in this culture and in this context, and maybe you grew up in the culture and context of this nation, not going to church either. And you think, well, it's the 21st century, it's 2022. Obviously, we're not as primitive as those guys, and and good grief, a thousand prostitutes in one place, that's really primitive. But I tell you the truth, our culture is far more immoral than theirs. We have brought immorality to a new level globally in 2022. Every man, woman, and child can click online and in a few seconds see things that would have shocked even the the Corinthians. That's the kind of world that we live in. And so the context here is very similar in a lot of ways. And you say, well, yeah, but we only worship one God. They had many gods. If you believe that, you don't travel very much because there are a lot of gods everywhere you go. India, for example, I've been to India. They boast a million gods. I don't know if they have a million gods. How you would how you would catalog that? How you would organize that? But that's what they claim. Everything is basically a god. You see monkeys running around. You see cattle in the middle of the roads because they worship monkeys and they worship cattle. They worship everything except chickens. And I know I've told you about it before when I came back, they don't worship the chicken. The chicken missed the God boat. So if you go to India, it's chicken in the morning, chicken at the noontime, and chicken when the sun goes down, you eat a lot of chicken, curry chicken at that, and rice. That's really their staple. I don't know why the chicken didn't become a God. I, I don't know, they had to eat something, so they made it the chicken, so, which is better than the rat. They worship the rat too, by the way. Anyway, I'm, I'm off track here, but, If you travel very much, you'll see that there are a lot of different gods. And you may be thinking, well, yes, okay, all right, there are a lot of gods in our world, but they're not these gods. Nobody worships uh, the Greek and the Roman gods anymore. If you're thinking that, you're wrong too. I I googled it. (laughs) There actually are a couple of thousand people who still worship the Greek and Roman gods, including the god of Aphrodite and the god of Apollo. Isn't that interesting? Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Now, they were lovers of philosophy. They had various schools of thought, and sometimes they had competing schools of thought. In fact, it was so bad, today our our competition with each other, our animosity with each other, our disagreement with each other is often political. It's the red versus the blue, the Republicans versus the Democrats or Democrats versus Republicans. Back then, their rivalry wasn't political, it was philosophical. It was philosophical. I almost said falafel, I'm getting hungry. It was philosophical. It's hard to imagine that groups of philosophers would have that kind of animosity for one another and that kind of tension, but they did. They taught all kinds of things in their competing schools of thoughts about the the nature of man, our beginnings, and our purpose in this world. Of course, their thinking was primitive, but they thought they were so advanced in their wisdom. Their minds were darkened, but they thought they were so enlightened, much like the teachings today. In all that has gone on this week, I'm reminded that everyone, I mean everyone, thinks they are the ones who are right, that is righteous, and everyone else is just awful. Now, God is the author of life, by the way, so I will always champion life because I believe the Word of God champions life. But throughout our nation and our world, there is so much darkness, blindness, foolishness, all the while, everyone believing that they are the enlightened ones. Paul saw the same thing in Corinth. How do, you how do you enlighten an enlightened people? Now, they really weren't enlightened. They were in darkness, but they thought they were. But to be fair to the passage, Paul is not speaking here on the issue of abortion or any other kind of issue like that. That issue is so important. But I want you to think even bigger for this passage. Paul came to Corinth to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, he's very specific with it. So our first point today is to begin with the gospel. If you want to be enlightened, if you want to experience wisdom... It will begin always with the gospel of Jesus Christ because any enlightenment is false enlightenment without the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what enlightenment is defined as in the word of God. So all this philosophy, if you take a class on philosophy, you want to study ancient philosophy or the philosophy of the day. If it's apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, it isn't enlightenment. It's a lie. In fact, if you look in our passage, I'm going to back up just two verses. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18. I started in 20 a while ago. This, this is two verses back. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate the famous philosophers who believed that they had thought of everything because that's all they did was stand around and and think thoughts and develop philosophical theories. And they had students and schools that you could attend. And again, often competing schools of thought. And so they thought that they had thought of everything and heard of everything, but they had never heard of anything like what Paul had to say. Do you remember when he was preaching there on Mars Hill? I believe it was in Athens when, when he starts sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, this idea that there, there aren't many gods. There is only one God, one true God who created everything. And that that God is a moral God and he created us out of love. That creation was a loving act. And he made us because he loved us and he made us to have a relationship with him, a connection with him. But that connection was severed. We, we as creation, cannot commune with our Creator because we're separated because of the sin that's in our life. Because our Creator is perfect and we're not perfect, we are fallen, and that is a problem because our purpose for existing is to have a relationship with God. And apart from that purpose, apart from that relationship, we're just like any other animal. We're born, we live, that we die and it's over in this world. Our life comes and goes so quickly and has no meaning at all. That's how most of the world is, they live in darkness. But then Paul says he has discovered, in fact, he personally met a savior from heaven, God's one and only son, who does not want us to die in darkness or live in darkness. So he paid the penalty for our sin, Thing that separates us from God on the cross he died in our place for us and that after three days in the grave God resurrected him from the dead and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ you and I can be forgiven of our sins fulfill our purpose in life loving the creator back and not only have purpose and meaning in this life but have eternal life in heaven with God they never heard anything like that. Do you remember what the philosophers on Mars Hill said? They said, "Who is about Paul?" They said, "Who is this babbler? He's babbling on." They hadn't heard, they had not thought of it before. They had never talked about it or considered the possibility of one moral God that loves them, but there's a problem of sin and. God sent his one and only son. They'd never conceived of that before. And since they hadn't thought of it, it seemed like foolishness to them. So Paul was in the middle of that context when he says this. Now here's the issue and here's where I want to get today. The challenge that Paul had wasn't that with the, the, the people that were up on the Acropolis in the temple of Aphrodite. The problem that Paul had wasn't in the sanctuary of Apollo. The problem that he had was the people in his church, the church of Jesus Christ, the church that Paul helped to establish in Corinth. Those people were coming into church and they had brought all of that baggage with them because they grew up going to the temple of Aphrodite. They grew up worshiping Apollo and all of the other Greek and Roman gods. So he had to deal with that kind of philosophical thinking in the church. The competition between the two groups resulted in chapter one of 1 Corinthians. We see that the church, the church, had different factions in it some followed Paul some Apollos some said we follow Jesus and so all of these groups they had their person that they followed they were having tension with one another there was this competition going on they had simply replaced the philosophies of the day with the theology of Christianity but they still had the same animosity they brought it in with them um, Here at First Baptist Church, we have members and attenders from all walks of life and I often tell you that, and I love that. Different backgrounds, different nationalities and races, different religious backgrounds, in fact, we have people from all different denominations here, Now, we are Southern Baptists, it's on our sign, but we don't, as I always say, I don't cram that down your throat, but theologically, that's where we stand. That's how we study God's Word, and we come down in the realm of Southern Baptist thinking. There is freedom, by the way. Not everybody has the same millennial views, not everybody has the same interpretation of various passages, but within certain boundaries. There's freedom, but there is also boundaries. We all believe in the the death, burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We all believe that Jesus is coming back. We all believe that there is forgiveness of sin and hope of glory in heaven. We all believe that there is purpose and meaning in life through Jesus Christ. We believe these basic things together. And by the way, no matter what denomination you're from and what background you're from, even though this is what we teach, we want you to know that you're always welcome here, but you have to accept the reality that we're not going to teach what they taught when you were Roman Catholic, or when you were a Methodist, or Church of Christ, or whatever denomination you came from. We, even if you go to a non-denominational church, that is a denomination, and they teach certain things that other denominations don't teach. They just call themselves a non-denominational church. So now it's called, now they, if you don't wanna have a denominational title, you're called interdenominational. So you don't even even wanna be non-denominational, you wanna be interdenominational. That's all inclusive, it includes everybody. But when you go to their Sunday school or their Bible study groups or you listen to their sermons, they also have very specific teachings specific to that church. Does that make sense? So in Corinth, or like Corinth, sometimes people bring their religious and philosophical views here to First Baptist Church that we don't hold on to. No judgment, but we don't believe the Bible teaches those things. And every church has that challenge, including Corinth. Now again, we we here at First Baptist believe that we are convinced what the Bible teaches. And from time to time we do have people here, not just that they believe in a different gospel or in different biblical teachings, they believe it's their mandate to come here and change this church into another kind of church or to change this denomination into a different denomination. They believe that God has sent them like ambassadors to cause and wreak havoc in other churches. in in order to convert them. First of all, and by the way, they just end up leaving frustrated because it's not gonna happen here. (laughs) Uh, It is is not your job, it's not my job to go into a church and make that church something that it's not. Jesus, and I, I know I share this with you and it's so very important, Jesus described himself as the gardener. Actually, excuse me, that's not completely accurate. He described himself as the vine and we are the branches and God the Father is the gardener. Do you remember that? The function of God the Father is to prune the vine. And if it has a healthy branch that's bearing good fruit, like if we're a healthy church and we're bearing good fruit, he'll prune that branch to make it even more fruitful. If there's a branch that's no good and it's not producing any fruit at all, he, he according to his own wisdom, Because he's the gardener, it's what gardeners do. He will cut off that branch and throw it into the fire and then graft a new branch. That's what he does. Our function, because we're branches, is to bear good fruit. But we sometimes get distracted and some people forget that their function is to bear good fruit and they want to be the assistant gardener. And so they'll go into a church and they want to help God the Father out and they want to get that branch into the fire as fast as it can. (laughs) but that's not our function. We're not the, there is no assistant gardener. God's not incompetent Doesn't need your help or my help. And so that's when Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, he is trying to help them understand. He wants to build unity among them, first of all, but uh, he wants them to understand who they are and what is their purpose as God's church. Now for Paul, there were two groups that they were challenged with. In fact, they were Jews and Greeks. If you look with me again in verse 22, it says this. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach we preach the Christ crucified. a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the first group, he says, are Jews. What did Jews want? They wanted to see signs, or specifically, they wanted to see miraculous signs. They wanted to see miracles. They love miracles. Who doesn't love a miracle? Maybe I'm part Jewish. I want to see a miracle. I love that. Sometimes the Jewish part of me wants to say to God, because God needs my advice, God, why don't you do more miracles? You know, bring back Elvis. Elvis. Resurrect somebody. Let's, let's see some miracles. Everybody will believe if you do that, right? No, no, they won't. They never have and they never will. In fact, this was one of the challenges that Jesus had. He did miracles all the time. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says this. Then some of the Pharisees, that, that, that was the religious leaders, and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, We want to see a miraculous sign from you. Now, isn't that a stupid thing to say to Jesus? How many miracles did he do? He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, the sign of the prophet Jonah was, Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, and Jesus was in the tomb for three days. That's the sign of Jonah. He says, "I'm not going to give. You want to see a sign? I'm going to be dead for three days." And he's talking to them about the heart of the gospel here, and then I'm going to come back to life, just as Jonah was given another chance and came back to life, was given new life. And so he says, "I'm not going to give you any signs." Now the irony of that again is, these guys that he said that to had already seen miracles. How many miracles did they need? Many of these saw the feeding of the five thousand. Some of them were around when Lazarus was resurrected from the dead after four days. In fact, after the resurrection of Lazarus, you know what the response was of the Pharisees? They got together and decided and started actively plotting the execution of Jesus. And by the way, Lazarus as well, they wanted them both dead. Instead of being converted, it did the opposite when Jesus did miracles. And so if you think, if I just saw miracles, if I just, if my loved one just saw more miracles, if our country just saw more miracles, then they would repent. Then they would accept Christ, would they? Judas was with Jesus for every one of his miracles. Not just with Lazarus, but with Jairus' daughter resurrected from the dead or the widow's son. He saw them all resurrected. He was there for the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. He was there for uh, when Jesus was walking on the water. He was in the boat watching the same thing the rest of the disciples saw. After seeing all of those miracles, he didn't believe. How many more miracles did he need? Jesus could have performed 10 times more miracles and it wouldn't have made a bit of difference for Judas or for the Pharisees. But that's what they wanna see. They wanna see God's bag of of tricks. And there are people today the same, same, same way. The second point of our passage is, the truth of this world is a lie. The truth of this world is a lie. The second group, that was the first group, that was the Jews, the second group were the Greeks. And they didn't want to see miraculous signs, they wanted what? They they wanted wisdom, but, but not just any wisdom. They already had that in their thinking. We're professional wisdom people. We've got all these philosophers. What we need is better wisdom, more wisdom. We want to hear some secret knowledge that nobody's ever heard of, What they wanted really was Wisdom (laughs) 2.0. Wisdom on the next level. And that's what they were going for. Just the flavor of the day. They wanted some new tidbit they could take to the other schools and say, Look, we have this. You guys don't have this. You have that. And they just wanted to use it for their own purposes. Now be careful. In the 30 years I've been pastoring... Every few years, a group or an entire denomination comes along that I've never heard of or seen before. And they say, we've figured it all out. Our new thing, our new church, our new understanding of the word of God is superior to that group or that denomination or to your group. In fact, I've actually had former members tell me this. They went to this other group, And they realized once they were so enlightened in this other group, they realized that we're a bunch of heretics here. We don't even teach the gospel. If you want to hear the gospel, if you want to know the secret truths of God, you have to go to their group. In almost a cult-like mentality, be careful about hearing these new truths. You want to hear the truth? The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ is 2,000 years old. Though it is fresh and new every morning, in our hearts it should be. It's not new and flashy. Most of you have seen a cross. Some of you are wearing a cross. Most of us have read the Bible before, at least some of it. Most of us own a Bible, or two or three or 20. (laughs) It's not new. my, My mother and father believed, my grandmothers and grandfather, all of them believed. My great-grandparents believed. I have ministers in my family uh, lineage. And many of you do as well. So it's not the new flashy thing. And sometimes, because we live in a culture that it, it's got to be new. Oh, got to be new. My cell phone that's in my pocket is about five months old. I can't wait to get rid of it. It's so, it's so not new. Because the new ones are coming out. You got to have the new one. It doesn't last very long, does it? That newness, it wears off so quick. Your, Your car, that you were beaming with pride when you drove it out of that car lot. Have you seen the new one? Oh, it's way better. It's so much better. And so we always want the new, the new, the new, the new. And so we come into church, what do we want? A 2,000-year-old gospel? No, no, we want this new thing. Be careful about those people out there promising you some other new truth other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's what we do. Truth is the truth. There's a story about a little girl who proudly wore a shiny cross on a chain around her neck. It was a gift given to her. One day she was approached by a man who said to her little girl, don't you know that the cross Jesus died on wasn't beautiful like the one you're wearing? It was an ugly wooden thing. It's just foolish to have a shiny cross around your neck. It isn't accurate. And The little girl replied, yes, I know. But they told me in Sunday school that whatever Jesus touches, he changes. You can listen to all the brilliant new philosophies in this world. We think we're so advanced. We're not. In 2,000 years, if the world is still here, they'll look back in on 2022, and they'll say what well, we're thinking from from years and years ago. They're gonna think those people were so primitive. They couldn't cure most diseases. They fought. They had wars. They bombed and killed one another. We're primitive. We think that we're so advanced. We've outgrown God. We haven't. We have not. And we never will. It's that simple, beautiful truth that God loves you. Whether you understand it or not, God loves you. He made you. And he wants to redeem you, forgive you and give your life purpose. That is the truth of the gospel. And he did that through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son for you. Don't let anybody else convince you of anything different in this wise world. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today, and we acknowledge the wisdom of this world is in fact foolishness but in their darkened thinking, they see the brilliance of your word and the glory and the light of your gospel, and they don't get it. The truth is most people have never gotten it. They don't get it now and they never will get it. It is a dark place in this world. Not just this week that we see darkness, we see it every week and every month of our life. Our parents saw it. Our grandparents saw it. Our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren will see it. It is just a dark world. But against that stands the light of Jesus Christ. Shining in darkness. Father, forgive us for those times where we have been seeking the new thing to give our life meaning. And it may be something as silly and trivial as a phone or electronics, or it may be a new philosophy or a new theology that we've been looking for, something to get us motivated. Forgive us, that is all foolishness. May we come back to the one truth that can change lives, grant us purpose, Redeem us from our sins and give us hope. And his name is Jesus. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you? First, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity today, right now, right here. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year. Right now, God is giving you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. Come up and say, Pastor, I want to surrender my life to Christ. And it is your life. It's not your week or your month, not even this year. It's not a New Year's resolution kind of thing. It's a lifelong commitment. It's a one way trip. That I die to myself. I don't call the shots anymore. I give my life to Christ because I acknowledge that He died for me, for my sins. And it is only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ faith in him that Christ will allow his blood and what he shed on the cross to save us from ourselves from our own sins you want to come forward and say all right I want to surrender it's time give your life to Christ today maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church and you want to serve him faithfully here just come down and say pastor we'd like to join or maybe you want to come and kneel and pray God has put something on your heart. These steps are available to you during this time of invitation. If God is leading right now, here's your chance. Here's your opportunity. While you pray, no one's looking around. All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. Would you stand? And as you stand, as you continue to pray right now, you come.